Hello everyone, my name is Ava Vellante, and I welcome you to my podcast where I analyze the anthropological work of Elizabeth Warnock Frenier. She was in fact not an anthropologist, but actually an English major who married an anthropologist, Bob Frenier. As Bob worked to complete his doctorate, his studies brought the two newlyweds to the Iraqi village of El Naraha. This village, home to the El Ashada tribe, was much different than the life of Elizabeth, known as BJ or Bija in the village, was familiar with growing up in Wisconsin. In 1956, the newlyweds packed up their lives and traveled to Baghdad and then eventually to El Naraha, where they would be the guests of the Sheikh, the eventual title of the book she wrote of her experiences. It is no surprise that Fernier had to write a lot about her travels because she was the first white woman to pass through the village of El Naraha let alone stay there for two years. As they made it to the train station in Baghdad, Bob attempted to warn BJ of what she was soon to encounter as she made it to the rural area of Iraq, but no forewarning could have prepared her for what her life was soon to become. It became blatantly clear to BJ that the traditions that she was accustomed to would be much different in this area where the Muslim women lived a conservative, veiled life. In coming to Iraq, this was not a custom she was originally willing to participate in. She wondered, why should I have to wear that ugly thing? It's not my custom. But her experience of being stared at by countless men in the train station ultimately persuaded BJ to don the traditional abaya that would have been seen among nearly all of the women that she would encounter for the next two years. She had once referred to it as a servile garment and a silly thing, but would become quite accustomed to the security that she felt while wearing it. The rural town of El Naraha provided far fewer luxuries than what BJ was used to. An old generator that powered the town was not capable of supporting 24-7 electricity like we are all used to in the West. Right from the start, the customs were very different to BJ. Besides the abaya, every aspect of life had also changed for her. In El Naraha, men and women did not intermingle even during social gatherings. Women stayed behind the closed fences of their garden and men went out to work. Because of this custom, BJ understood her role in helping Bob with his research because of the lack of interaction that he was culturally allowed to have with the women. BJ got used to hanging out with the women every day and befriended many of them. She mostly feared um, that the length of her stay and their hospitality would soon run out and their interest in her as a new white woman in town would cease. However, their customs ensured that their hospitality never ended and she built friends that she would soon miss as her two years ended. This concept was explained to her by Muhammad, a Sayyid or descendant of the Prophet that was a house helper for BJ and Bob and assisted them in becoming integrated into the Middle Eastern ways of living. He was responsible for shopping for them, which came as a surprise to BJ because she learned that she was not allowed to go to the market. BJ spent her days preparing lunch for Bob, which the women taught her how to properly do when they would meet to talk about their family, religious festivities, and of course, gossip about the town. Many families were financially stressed in the village because of countless bad harvest seasons. It was customary for tea, cigars, cookies, and sometimes even full meals to be served to BJ when she visited her friends, Layla, a wood spinner and weaver, Aziza, a school teacher that she was teaching English to, and the three wives of the Sheikh, particularly Selma. BJ understood that the traditional sense of hospitality was always something that struggled with their slim budgets, and she worried how her presence created financial struggles. By the time Ramadan rolled around, BJ was welcomed among the group of women in the town invited to go to a kriya to celebrate. These festivities were very unlike anything that is seen within the Christian faith. Kriyas were hosted as a thank you and in celebration of Allah and the gifts he had given them. The sheikh's compound, which would receive many guests, was filled with boys dancing and women cooking for a feast. 
In her two years, BJ got to experience life in the village of the Al Ashada tribe, as well as a gypsy caravan, celebrations of the sacred month of Muharram, and even a pilgrimage to Karbala, where she hid her foreignness behind her abaya and relied on the language skills of the others who went with her. BJ also learned about the traditional aspects of marriage that differ greatly from the Western world. To start, polygamy is an especially popular occurrence in rural Muslim communities, but has been outlawed in the bigger cities more affected by globalization. Polygamy is seen as beneficial for smaller communities because it cuts down on female infanticide by families hoping for a baby boy. Infanticide would occur because having a boy meant more for the family line and power structure of it, and his requirements for marriage were less strict. Polygamy created big family trees and thus lots of cousins for one to marry and keep the bloodline pure. It was common that brothers would create agreements to exchange marriages between their sons and daughters to allow for four children to be married in two weddings and to keep the money within the family. Wedding ceremonies weren't the white ball gown display like is traditional in the Western world. Multiple brides would get married in one day and the party would follow them to each household. Weddings were always celebrated with lots of dancing and music being played by pipers and drummers. The appearance of traditions from West from the West started to influence marriage, especially in the Sheikh's family, as they were the only ones who could afford university in Baghdad and be witness to these new views. Men sometimes desired women with higher education because of this. The women often asked BJ about Western monogamy and why she didn't have children yet. For them, culturally, it was hard to believe that Western, the Western government and her sect of Christianity forbade polygamy. The Iraqi women assured her that their way was better because even if a man were to be divorced by his wife, he is still responsible for taking care of his kids and paying back part of the bride fee. Polygamy was important because it is, as they said, fills a social and economic need. Wives, no matter their order of marriage, had a role and expectations to uphold in the family. Although many women believe that two women is too much for a household, they realize that it gives that it gave them more opportunities and gives their children a chance for marriage within the family line. They may have been jealous, but still relied on each other to be able to complete their household duties. You could be a perfect wife, but if you didn't bear a son, your husband may want to marry again to ensure his family line, like in the case of Layla's mother. Iraqi women had the misconception that Western women were uninterested in having children, as it was, and still is very uncommon, to see families with 10 children in the U.S. They'd wondered how it was that they did not have many children with their husbands and asked if they were to just stop sleeping with them. This realization brings to light the difference in the education and health systems regarding birth control and other reproductive health, health topics. Another assumption that was made about the Western world was that we were gross because of our unshaved body hair. I found this particularly interesting because it is clear that times have changed since the 1950s as shaving became pretty customary but has since started to see some decline again with the new wave of feminism hitting the U.S. The experiences that BJ had as a white Christian woman in a rural Muslim Iraqi village shows how many worlds apart they really were with the United States. There was so much that differed within their class structure, kinship and gender roles and rights, customs and traditions, and religion. As with all anthropology work, Bob struggled with explaining to the townsfolk what his purpose of being in El Naraha was, specifically his, to his friend Jabbar. Jabbar disliked the reenactment of the battle during the Muharram celebrations because he worried that Bob would find the ceremonies, especially those of flagellation, primitive and uncivilized, and then you will go back to America and lecture and tell everyone that all Iraqis are backwards. 
backward, uneducated, superstitious people. It is disheartening that Jabbar had to be embarrassed by the traditions that his town is used to practice because we probably have customs that seem odd as well. BJ also had similar encounters that made her conscious of what it was like to live a conservative life as a woman in a Muslim community. I have pulled out an excerpt from the book to bring to light one of the experiences that really encapsulates BJ's experience. Chapter 20, An Excursion into the Country Aziza and I kept up our lessons twice a week that autumn, but it was usually I who went to Aziza. Therefore, I was surprised to find her at my door after lunch one afternoon. Layla, who had been visiting, sprang up in delight, pleased that the teacher, a person of some importance, should appear when she was present. "'Come for a ride with me,' said Aziza. "'It is such a fine day.' "'A ride,' I echoed. "'Yes,' replied Aziza. "'My cousin is here from Diwania with his car and his driver.' They are going partridge hunting along the canal. I will sit in the back seat to look at the view, and I thought you might like to come. Do come, Bijo, she urged, clapping her hands together. The country will be beautiful today. I would love to, I answered. An excursion away from my house and garden would be a real event. But I turned to my visitor, visitor Layla. Layla must come too, said the kindly Aziza, and Layla beamed. But she added, are you sure that your father would allow you to go driving with my cousin? Of course, of course, said Layla. BJ then continues on. Aziza's cousin, one rifle in hand and a second rifle on the seat beside him, rode in front with the driver. The cousin spoke occasionally to Aziza, but he was careful not to address Layla or myself. We sat silently, wrapped in our abayas, enjoying a marvelous sense of release in the unexpected holiday. Today, however, we passed onto a section of canal that I could not remember having seen before, and drove along for nearly half an hour until the cousin stopped the car near a plowed but unplanted field. Aziza indicated that we would get out and walk a little bit while the men went on ahead to hunt. In this way, they would not intrude on our privacy while we strolled, and they would return for us when they had bagged a brace of partridge. The three women spent a lovely day out walking, only stumbling upon three children and their parents during their encounter. Layla hid herself in this encounter behind her abaya, afraid that they would recognize her and tell her father of her wanderings. Everything turned out okay, and Frenia... Fernier writes that after her experience, on impulse, I asked the girls to have supper with me as Bob was eating in the modif. Over cold chicken and salad, watered yogurt and tea, Aziza became quite eloquent. The subject was tribal purity, and Layla supported her effusively on every point. At that moment, Mohammed called through the shuttered window to ask if he could speak to me privately. I was surpri surprised. For Mohammed never interrupted or intruded when I had guests, especially women. I excused myself. Sit, he burst out, without even a prefatory greeting. Something very bad has happened. What? I cried, my mind jumping to a vision of Bob lying in a ditch out in the middle of the plain. It is Layla, he said. Layla, I echoed, in some perplexity. Yes, Layla. Isn't she in your room right now with the school teacher? I nodded. Didn't you take her with you this afternoon? Yes, I said, still not understanding. You should not have done that, said Layla said Mohammed solemnly. In fact, you should not have gone at all without asking your husband. My first reaction was one of irritation. What right had Mohammed to tell me what I must and must not do? Thank you very much, Mohammed, I said as calmly as I could, but I am sure my husband would not object. After all, I was with the school teacher, whom everyone respects. Sit, you are a foreigner, and although you wouldn't, I should think, want to ruin your good name, you don't want to, you don't have to live here. The school teacher's cousin is a very bad man. He drinks and gambles and stays with bad women in Diwania. I opened my mouth to interrupt, but Mohammed held up his hand warningly. 
Layla is in great danger, he said. If anyone, he paused and repeated, anyone were to know that she went riding with a strange unmarried man without men from her family present, she could be killed. Her father would have to do it to save the honor of the other woman of the family. Do you understand? Yes, now I did understand with the sickening realization that one has as a child of being caught in an act of serious wrongdoing. Conscious that there will be no discussions or excuses, no opportunity to, to explain, it is done, and one is to blame and waits for punishment. What shall I do, Mohammed? You must deny that Layla was with you. Say it was a cousin of the school teacher. I know Layla went, and so do some of the children who saw you go, but I will deny it, and so will the children because they like Layla. But Mohammed, she is here now, eating supper, supper with me. Everyone will know that, and will see her leave. Mohammed paused. You could say that she came after the ride to eat supper with you he decided perhaps you better explain to the school teacher i went into Layla and aziza while they sat chatting happily and told them that mohammed had said we must swear it was a cousin of yours in the car aziza i finished and all sticks to that story yes said aziza Layla's holiday manner disappeared as i talked she now rose abruptly aziza and i were left looking at each other i should have known better she said i know how conservative these people are after all i grew up as Layla did that is why I made a point of asking whether her father would allow her to go. When she said yes, I was too careless to press it further. We must say nothing, she said. She added, the least they can do is to beat her. Let us hope they do nothing worse. Aziza took my hand. I'm sorry our lovely afternoon finished this way, she said. Layla did end up being okay, but it was definitely an experience that made BJ realize her presence in the town and how she was only a guest. Bob had gotten scolding from the village men about not knowing the whereabouts of his wife, and Layla's sisters lied to protect her. BJ and Bob lived among the Iraqis and followed their customs, but still they were not completely assim assimilated. I personally believe that this was an important passage of the book because it highlighted the actions that in our culture would not be given a second thought, but are seen quite differently elsewhere. After this experience, BJ learned to be more cautious, under cautious understandably so and gave her a greater cultural understanding those interested in learning about how the roles of gender are different around the world should definitely look into reading elizabeth Fournier's guests of the shike it introduces you into an unseen world with accounts given by the first white woman to experience life in el naraha thank you all for tuning in as i analyze the different customs seen cross-culturally <laughs>